evening and welcome to the 488th episode of Travel Witch Radio. I'm your host, Dan Schlossberg, along with co-host Mary Ellen Nugent-Lee, and we're in the 12th season of Travel Witch Radio, the show that lets you enjoy the pleasures of travel from the comfort of your armchair. Every week at this time, we talk to people representing destinations, hotels, airlines, railroads, car rental companies, and others in the world of travel and hospitality, from authors and bloggers to broadcasters and publicists. If it's got anything to do with travel, it's got everything to do with Travelitch Radio. And tonight, we gladly welcome Rick Mader, author of Six Hours, Running for My Life in the Grand Canyon. Welcome, Rick, to Travelitch Radio. Hi, guys. Great to be here. And great to have you. Rick, congratulations on the new book, a 243-page paperback published by Boulevard 55 Books in L.A. Good luck. Hope this show helps you sell even more. But does it raise an obvious one-word question, like why? (laughs) (laughs) Well, why not? Um, (laughs) I I, I think um, the the bottom line between Canyon is um, it was – it was a way to do, I talk about it in, in the book, it was a way to do a distance running challenge without competing against, you know, times from when I was younger, like old marathon times or whatever. And, and it's, a, it's a gorgeous, uh, iconic uh, landscape. Okay. The South Rim route is 17 miles long, difficult for anybody of any age in any condition but you had already had a heart attack, four stents, and a defibrillator. How did you pick the Grand Canyon? How did you train for it? And what did your wife say since you two, you had two teenage <laughs> girls at the time? Yeah, and the defibrillator was actually after the run, but I did have four stents and then had a heart attack. Okay. Um, uh, the family was, was not crazy about it, and as a recount in the book, I actually, to, especially to keep my younger daughter happy, I went in and had um, a tre- moved up my annual treadmill test and discovered I needed an additional stent. So I actually had to put off the run for years and get a fourth stent. Um, mm. But, um, yeah, so there, there were some misgivings uh, about it. There is a risk factor, obviously, in, in running the Grand Canyon. Uh, is it true that your girls used to call you Ranger Rick, and what did you do to inspire that nickname? Yeah, I was. Um, I've always loved nature and Edison canyons near where I live in Los Angeles. So I used to take kids out and you know see tadpoles and turtles and frogs, um, and that's where the Ranger Rick thing came from. And uh, but it also makes trail running really enjoyable. You know, um, living out in nature and the Grand Canyon is is kind of the ultimate trail run. Well, I've ridden a, a mule on the North Rim during a rainstorm and thought I was taking my life in my hands. But walking? How long did it take you? Well, first of all, I, I think you were taking your life in your hands with, on top of a mule. And you wouldn't catch me on top of a mule or a horse going down to the canyon because you're way off the ground. And there are occasionally accidents. You know, mules have gone over the edge. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, I actually think it's safer being on your own two feet, <laughs> um, <laughs> and and obviously it's tricky. I get entered in a book, like on the South Kaibab Trail on your way down, 
They have what I call, uh, and they're also on the way up on the financial trail, but they have what I call cross-trail logs to keep the boat in place. But they get rutted in between by erosion. So it's kind of like going down through like a, a tires on an obstacle course. You know, you're kind of like bouncing your way down and you have to really focus to avoid a trip and fall. And obviously that's really risky in places where there's a steep drop. You know, but if you prepare, if, you, if you're trained and, and you're prepared, and I hiked it once in preparation, and actually was hiking it with my cousin that gave me the idea, so I had hiked the route before I ran it. Okay, we're talking with Rick Mater, who's the author of Six Hours, Running for My Life in the Grand Canyon. Mary Ellen? Rick, the Grand Canyon has several separate climate zones. How did you pack for the weather you might encounter, including summer thunderstorms and even snow at any time? Well, snow usually, the south rim is 7,000 feet, so usually the snow is more like kind of October through April. Hmm. Um, so, so I ran it uh, June 4th, which is really kind of the perfect time of year. Uh, thunderstorms are really tricky. Uh, I get into that flash flood danger with some stories in the book, but the weather forecast was clear. You know, there's no danger of thunderstorms. Uh, the, the danger of thun- thunderstorms is um, if you're in the canyon and you're on, let's say, the Bright Angel Trail, they, which goes through a long ravine um, as you go down the Colorado River, it can come, become a flash flood in the event of a thunderstorm. So you, you need to be careful with regards to weather. In terms of clothing, I just went down in shorts and a long sleeve top with a, with a T-shirt over it, and I kind of stripped down a little bit as it warmed up. But it was, mm. I think, about 50 degrees when I started. No, it's actually a little warm than that. Anyway, at the top, it's, when you start, it's cooler, and then it gets hot when you get down into the gorge. But the trick of running it is to go down very early. So you're in the gorge. before. before it was actually maybe about 70 in the gorge, but then it goes mm-hmm. up to oh, well over 100. Like the day I ran it, it was going to be 105. And you get out before then, you know, and, and you start working your way back up. Uh, and that's important because I talk about some stories of one, something that happened to a friend and also the tragic story of Margaret Bradley, you know, a female marathoner who died running in the canyon. And in both cases, they made the mistake of going down too late in the day, you know, like 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, not having enough water with them, not knowing the route. Um, so I, I cover a lot of safety tips in the book. You, you need mm. to be smart about it. Did you talk to others who did the same run? And, and was it a walk or was it a run? Obviously, it's easier to run down than to run up. <laughs> yeah, it was a run down. Um, no matter how good you are um, and people that do ultras and stuff, they, you know, they're, if it's a super steep uphill, like places coming out, like the Bright Angel Trail up below the rim is, is extremely steep. You just, you just have to power hike it. Um, in other parts on the ascent, like around Indian Garden, it's, it's not as steep and you can run. Um, and I know I didn't talk to anybody who'd run it, actually. I didn't know anyone who'd run it. Um, but I just uh, researched it. Mike said I hiked it. Um, in my own running, I had trained on Mount Wilson here in Los Angeles, which is about the same elevation as from the Colorado River to the 
top of the south rim, so I was in good shape. Hmm. Did you have any interaction with other climbers, and how about unexpected encounters with animals while you were there? I did have some encounters. I I, I went and I get into in the book on the way back up. There was a there was a guy hiking at an incredibly fast pace, and and we actually hung together for two or three miles. Um, in terms of animal encounters, uh, there was a mule deer down on the way to Phantom Ranch, down by the Colorado River. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a little disconcerting because there's no predators left in the canyon. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool that the mule deer um, aren't afraid of you, but at the same time, they really, you know, back in the day, there used to be, for example, mountain lions, and now there's only very few up on the North Rim. Um, and that's due to man and farmers, you know, taking out coyotes and taking out you know, mountain lions. And I do tell the story of Echo. Mm. Uh, and Echo um, was a female a mountain lion who came from Montana down to all the way to the Grand Canyon through Utah um, in search of a mate, um, which was which was uh, captured a lot of attention online. But then tragically, she turned around and was shot by, uh, shot in Utah by someone who said they mistook her for a coyote. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, it's so there. There are there are a few on the North Rim, but man has obviously impacted the Grand Canyon in a whole number of ways, and uh, and that's one of them is, is, is the elimination of some of the predator uh, animals. Mm-hmm. Rick, you mentioned the date June 4th. I think you should have done it on June 6th because that was the longest day to start with. <laughs> well, I was doing a weekend. <laughs> so so um, it, the, the date worked out. Um, you actually, and I've hiked it on, on a weekday, and you do have way less people. So if you're looking for uh, less people, uh, a weekday is better than a weekend. And the South Kaibab, the way it went down, has less people than the Bright Angel Trail. But at the same time, having a few people around kind of is good for safety, you know. Mm. Um, oh, people sure. that in trouble, like Margaret Bradley was on the Tonto running from the Grandview, and there's just, you can run the, I've hiked part of the Tonto Trail. It runs along the top of the rim above the Colorado. You can literally encounter nobody on the Tonto. So that's where you, you have to be really careful in the Grand Canyon because there are major trails, like the Bright Angel, which comes up in the Canyon Village and it has a, you know, a lot of people use it. And then elsewhere, like just a few miles away, you can be completely isolated. What was your personal highlight? Um, finishing. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the personal highlight was I went back the following year. I had a time goal. I was trying to do it in under six hours, so I didn't make the time goal the first time, but I made it the second. Um, and I don't want to get all hippy-dippy and zen, but in some ways the personal highlight was going back and hiking and being down. Uh, I talked about it in the epilogue in, in six hours. Being down in the Grand Canyon on the Tonto Trail at, like, daybreak with nobody else around. It's you know, it's just as close to a spiritual experience as you can get. 
And I think that was probably my highlight of any time in the Grand Canyon. You know, just experiencing all that beauty and grandeur by yourself, like you have the whole Grand Canyon um, for for yourself. You know, to me, if I were answering that question, personal highlight, I would have said, I sat in a jacuzzi for a week after I got back because I was so sore. How about you? No, I wasn't sore. No, if you're in shape. You know, if you're if you're if you if you're a runner and you're in shape, then you, you soreness will be um, fairly minimal. You know, um, so that's uh, I think it all depends on how much you know running you've done, or if you if you're hiking the Grand Canyon, if you're if you're in shape. You know, and and um, then then you should be um, fine in terms of soreness. Not that the jacuzzi is a bad place to hang out for a while. <laughs> And what about the most difficult aspect of your journey? Um, uh, good question. I, I think um, I go through in the book, and it's kind of a spoiler alert, I made some murky mistakes um, that I had made the first time I ever did the marathon. I, I didn't take power gel, um, and that kind of that caught up with me on the ascent. Because um, your body needs replenishment, you know, for uh, electrolytes. And when I went back and did the run a year later, I made sure to bring some Gatorade, for example, like you can, or you can run with a mixture of Gatorade and water. So you really need to replenish your body for that long. Um, I mean, six hours is a, is a long time to be to be putting out a maximum effort. You know, mm-hmm. so you need to bring a day pack or. You can do a fanny pack around your waist. You know, bring some some stuff with you. We're talking to Rick Mater, the author of Six Hours, Running for My Life in the Grand Canyon. Mary Ellen. Rick, were you worried about running out of food or water? Um, I actually, there had been breaks in the, the Grand Canyon pipeline. Um, there's a pipeline that goes from the north, just below the north rim, down to the river and then back up along the Bright Angel Trail, and it brings water to like the the uh, restaurants and stores up in the South Rim. Um, and there had been a break in the in the pipe, and I wasn't sure if it was fixed or not. But I was determined to go through the run, so I made sure I brought like five bottled waters with me. And by the way, I would stress with bottled waters, you actually can't buy them inside the canyon because they're afraid of trash. But I'd make sure to bring the, my empties up with me you know, in day pack. Um, so that covered me for water in case there was a problem, you know, with the, because with the, on the way up Bright Angel from the river, you can get water at Indian Garden, and then there's a rest house at three miles from the rim, and then another one at one and a half miles from the rim. So you can replenish water. And that's why, that's why it's the recommended route for going up from the river. So the South Kaibab Dam doesn't have water, um, and then that when you really need water for the later part of the experience, then you can get it along Bright Angel Trail because it's mm-hmm. available there. Is it fair to say your book is part runner's guide, part travelogue, part history lesson from the geology yeah, of the I mean, to the Native Americans? Yeah. Uh, yeah, let me just, whoops, my laptop died on, uh, shut down. I, mean, I was going to give a quote from Kirkus Reviews because I thought they... The uh, Kirkus Reviews said, um, hang on, here it goes. 
an inspirational, well-structured account of aging, goal attainment, and personal transformation. Uh, uh. So I think I think that that kind of covers what I'm trying to do in the book. Also, I got this great blurb. It's not on the cover of the copy you have because you have an advanced copy, but it's on the regular one. Um, Dean Carnazes, who wrote one of my favorite books called Ultra Marathon Man, and he's an ultra runner in up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so his blurb is on the front cover, which is, I was gripped and deeply moved by the story of human triumph, hmm. you know, which was terrific, you know, being a cardiac patient and running the Grand Canyon, in my case, <laughs> not, in, not in his case. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I forgot your question. Hmm. Well, what did you ask you, me? I was wondering, is it fair to say that your book is part runner's guide, part travelogue, and part history lesson? Something from the yes. Thank you. Yes, it's <laughs> exactly that. It's a running book, but it's also, like you said, I I get into the history of the Grand Canyon in terms of the human history, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think you cannot do that without getting into the Native American history. So they have mm-hmm. the Supai and the Paiute and the Navajo, you know, the tribes that, that lived there, um, and also that got moved um, out of Indian Garden to, to a reservation and this happened when the Grand Canyon became a national park. Um, so that was the downside of it becoming a national park. The good thing, if there is one in that situation, is in that case, they were only relocated to the western end of the Grand Canyon. So so they remained in the canyon. Hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, as opposed to having to completely leave and those other horror stories that Native Americans went through. Hmm. And I cover the geology of the Grand Canyon, you know, it's just fascinating because the Grand Canyon, everything there should be buried deeper than the earth, but instead you go through geologic time. So when you start on the south rim, it's the South Kaibab limestone, which is 300 million years old, and you're actually reversing the last supercontinent, Pangea. Um, and as you go down, you know, they're taking supercontinents back to um, four. So literally when you're down in the river gorge, the position is shift, it's 1.6 billion years ago. And, and you know, Columbia, which is the fourth supercontinent, if you go back, you know, that's why, that's why um, you know, current planet, you, like South America and Africa, looks like they should be together, you know, mm. sit together, because they were together. And then they got separated uh, when Pangea split up. And um, and I think it's really cool that the next supercontinent has already been named by some geologists, and it's and I covered it in the book, uh, Pangea Ultima, because mm. of you know where all the the planet all the land forms are heading, there's Pangea is going to reform, you know, in a couple hundred million years. Wow. We won't be. Able to because obviously um, climate change, change by um, you know the, the land mass is moving around. Um, Rick, you're breaking up a little bit. Uh, you're breaking up. Are you on a cell phone? You're breaking up a little bit. Yeah, let's try moving a little bit. Um, how is it now? Mm-hmm. Better. Okay. Mary, Mary, I want to go ahead. Yeah, well, Rick, so so, go ahead. 
Rick, would you recommend that others try to duplicate your feet, or would you warn them not to try? I welcome others. One of the, the reasons I wrote the book is, is for other cardiology patients. You know, I'm a member of CardiacCast.com, which is a worldwide support group. It was started in Australia, but it's in England, Canada, and the, and the U.S. There's a lot of people who have hereditary heart cardiac conditions, like I do, no matter exercise and healthy diet. And, um, and you can go back to exercise. Obviously, you should do it consultant with your doctor, but to encourage, you know, if you're, um, Rick, you're breaking up I, a lot now. You're breaking up a lot. Well, I'm sorry, the audio is not good. Okay. Well, apologies, Dan. This is why it's better to do, do it on Zoom. <laughs> but moving around. Yeah, I know. Is there any way, any place you could move, or could you call us back on a landline? That would help. I don't have a landline to say, but I'm moving around. Just let me know if I hit a spot that's good. Okay. Okay. I want to tell our listeners, you're listening to Travelage Radio now in our 12th season with Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent-Lee. Check us out on iTunes or blogtalkradio.com or visit the Travel with Radio Facebook page. And our guest tonight is Rick Mater, the author of Six Hours Running for My Life in the Grand Canyon. Rick, your last book was a novel called Beat, and this book reads like a novel, too, which I didn't expect. Lots of quotes, anecdotes, and humor. Did you keep a daily journal knowing in advance that your trek would translate into a memoir? No, actually, but it's not that long ago. So I was able to, you know, to do to do it without having taken. I mean, I took some notes, but I didn't take. I didn't expect to write a book. Originally, it was going to be an essay. Um, so I'm glad I read that way. I'm glad you enjoyed it so much. You and, have and many I claims to fame, Rick, but the one that intrigues me most is spending time in jail with Abby Hoffman. You've got to tell us what happened. Um, Well, that was back in the day. I don't want to alienate listeners, but back in the day, yeah, we uh, we were in a jail cell together in Washington, D.C. in 1971 um, during the the last big anti-Vietnam War action. And uh, and Abby was kind of a hero of mine. You know, and of course, he was a Chicago 7 defendant. Um, He was one of the founders of the Yippies. but but he actually on that day was a little uh, a little down. Um, uh, maybe he'd been arrested one too many times. But still, it was a chance to, to meet and talk with, talk with somebody. At his well, what people didn't understand and I didn't know at the time was his brother wrote a biography that Abby Hoffman was bipolar, and so he could be incredibly charismatic and upbeat. Um, but he could also be suffered from depression, and in the end, he actually committed suicide. 1989. Um, but in terms of, and I also was an outside agitator with uh, Jerry Rubin and smoked up once with Allen Ginsberg, all that kind of stuff. But I also, I paid my respects to the Vietnam Memorial years later. And, and you know, and I respect soldiers that went and everything. That was just a different time. Um, okay. But it was, it, but it was, a great meeting Abby in person, you know, meeting the person because he wrote, he wrote Revolution for the Hell of It, he wrote Woodstock Nation, um, and I, and he 
I think if he had not committed suicide, he would have had a whole second or third act, you know, with the mood, with the, you know, with the political activism, you know, when he went underground in 1974, he hid in plain sight as Barry Freed, an environmental activist. You know, he had plastic surgery, surgery to disguise his appearance. Um, and I think he would have been, um, you know, really well-received. And he was a terrific writer. So I think it's a real shame, you know, that he, he didn't stick around and, and um, you know, be appreciated for, for everything he did and for his books, which are hilarious, by the way. <laughs> With Stagnation, he gets found. Yeah. You and I are both fans of Kennebunkport, Maine. I try to get up there from New Jersey every summer, and I know you did the same. But that little Oscar town is a far cry from the Grand Canyon. When did you first get to the Grand Canyon, and when did you get the urge to run it? I stopped there with my hippie girlfriend going cross-country, uh, I think, in 1973, and I mentioned it in the book. So that we went partway down Bright Angel. Um, so that was actually the first time, and then I started, then I started going back you know, way more, more uh, recently, and that's when I got the idea to run it. And Kenny Bunkport's great, and it's also a great place to run. You know, it's gorgeous. Um, I have a little thing in there about running because we used to do family vacations there, and I'd be running, you know, it's a beautiful coastline. You run down to Parsons Beach, and um, you can be the only one on the beach if it's the right time of the morning. Uh, it's, it's gorgeous country. Rick, you were a cross-country runner in college, so is it true that once the bug bites, it never lets go? Well, actually, it did let go because of the 1960s, which you were just talking about. <laughs> um, so I got distracted by other things, and I went back to it for a while in the 1980s, and then I went back to it for good in 1994 or five. and thank God I did because uh, I tell it in the book, but I talk about the heart attack. It was distance running that saved my life because I had 100% occluded LAD, the, the Widowmaker, which should be massive fatal heart attack. But the distance running builds up ancillary capillaries, the same if you're a distance cyclist or a distance swimmer, and it got just they got just enough blood around the occlusion that that I had a mild heart attack instead of a fatal one. So mm-hmm. thank God I went back to running. Um, so there's just all sorts of health benefits from running and hiking, and and that was that was one of them in my life. Okay, just a couple of minutes left, Rick. Now that you're 74, do you still run? And if so, how much? Yes, uh, usually like three times a week, like a few miles Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then I do a long run uh, up into the canyons and the hills here in Los Angeles. You know, eight miles usually, but also sometimes 10 or 12. Um, and, you know, trail runs, uh, you know, it's all about, uh, I, I talk about in the book, um, if I ever did a running blog, it would be called, it's all about getting your butt out the door. And then once you do, it, it, you know, you want, usually wind up really glad that you did it and get out into nature, put your body to work, you know, be healthy, challenge yourself. Okay. How do Travel Itch Radio listeners learn more about your book, and where can they buy it? They can go to my website uh, to learn more. That's richardlewismater.com. Um, they can buy it 
from Amazon. They can also order it from their local bookstore. And in California, it's in a lot of, like to my local Barnes & Noble here. Um, so it's, it's available either through your bookstore, from Amazon, and for more information, Richard Lewis, Nader, L-E-I-W-I-S. Uh, lots of extra photos of the canyon, um, you know, blurbs, book signing information for both Beat and for six hours running from a life in the Grand Canyon. Sounds great. Our guest tonight has been Rick Nader, author of Six Hours, Running for My Life in the Grand Canyon. Thank you for being our guest on Travel with Radio. And thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it, guys. Good. Thank you. That, that's it for this edition of Travel Itch Radio. Now this is Dan Schlossberg along with Mary Ellen Nugent-Green saying thank you for your time this time until next time when we'll have a very special Valentine's Day show, great romantic places to go, celebrate, and remember. So for now, good night and stay safe. Mm-hmm.